we're in Romans 12 this morning. Romans 12, verses 9 to 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. want to, uh, first of all, just um, publicly thank uh, John Crawford for faithfully feeding the church the way that he does. Um, we have been blessed by a man that will continue to stand up. I thank John. I speak for the church. Thank you for your exposition of the word and continuing to preach faithfully the word of God. We appreciate it. I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach this passage this morning. It is um, exhortive. It comes by way of an exhortation to the church. You could... Read your Bible and literally read across these words in, as Mallory did, 30 seconds. And so you wonder, well, okay, that's nice. I've read, read through that. That seems good. Thank you, Lord. I've had my pill for the day, and here we go. But I really believe when you take a moment and deeply meditate on what Paul intends for the church to receive in these words. They're so precious and so deep, and they really, as you think about them, and you think, here's where I'm at, here's where God desires for me to be, what is the channel that he's going to use to get me there. Many times for us, it comes by way of exhortation. I have been in churches all over. And I'm not alone in this when I say this, but I have seen churches die. I have seen churches sick. I have seen churches feel like that they're healthy and they're absolutely not. So when we come to a passage like this and God asks, this is your reasonable service to him, then it's important that we understand, well, what is, Lord, that reasonable service if I truly say that I'm a born-again Christian, if I truly say that I have been bought 
by the blood of Jesus, I have come to him in repentance and truly been regenerated in the heart and I absolutely have been transformed out of darkness and brought into the light, then if that is absolutely true, then what God asks of us is not out of line. It would be our reasonable service. Now, I want to lovingly tell you, Cross Fellowship, before I preach a message like this, man, I, I see God working through us, in and among us, in amazing ways. Really, I am encouraged as a church for the ways that Cross Fellowship follows a lot of what's going on here. But it is never wrong for a church to always be reminded what are we to look like as the people of God? Psalm 127.1 Man, my mouth is dry. Says that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. That is beautiful words to recognize that if we desire to be a church that people can come into and really are following what God wants us to follow, then it would be natural that we would see, Lord, would you please exhort us? Would you please direct us? Would you please change our hearts? We could read these passages, as I mentioned, in a matter of 30 seconds, but to meditate on them deeply, and come to the, the, the conclusion that, God, if there's something that I'm not doing here, if there's something that's not right and I'm out of line in your word, would you please, by the power of your spirit, change my heart? There are two biggest areas that have been affected when a person is converted when they come to saving faith in Jesus. God says the two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, to love the na your neighbor as yourself. Then it would make perfect sense, please hear this, Cross, that if it is true that Jesus' death on the cross for our sins to pay the penalty would then in turn, when a person comes into a relationship with God, that the two greatest areas that would be affected by our life would be the fact that we would love God supremely with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and that we would love others deeply. These have to be two areas that have had to have been affected. When Paul writes this. He, he taught the Romans first, the uh, chapters 1 through 11, the deep, um, deep mysteries of God, the deep truths of Christ. Then he comes into Romans 12 and he says, I appeal to you that this, what I'm getting ready to share now is the practical way that this will be fleshed out to be your reasonable service. He then tells them that just like following in uh, Corinthians, the church at Corinth, that, um, thanks Bill, 
sorry. Johnny, get dry mouth up here. Okay. <laughs> Paul explains to the church then that Cross Fellowship, hear this, you heard this last week, you have been supernaturally endowed with amazing spiritual gifts that do not come from this planet. That would have a tendency to drive some incredibly proudful. Paul says, don't let this be you. In fact, think the opposite. He begins in this passage, and you can see that I have broken these exhortations down in groups of seven, but there, you could say there's 14, fine. It's not a problem. I've, I've combined some together for sake of time, but and because I, I see a thread that weaves through them, so I'll explain those as we get to them. But what I want to share, church, is that there are ways that are so far above what we think. And God knows best. And, and what is a pleasing aroma that John has talked about these past couple of weeks? A pleasing aroma to God is for a church to be conformed not to the world, but to Christ. And these exhortations are lifted out of there from the heart of God. So I hope that you will hear this. Wow. This, this is really how he wants me to live. This isn't what I believe. This isn't what I want to think. This isn't the way that some other system can manufacture and make a church up. We want to believe that this is what God desires. There are multiple reasons that churches fail. They stray from the gospel. They preach a different gospel. They've moved somewhere off of what God has for them. But the hopes will be for cross-fellowship as we grow stronger as a body together that the prescribed word is what we resolve in our hearts. Lord, I'll follow you. Whether you're here and you are the brand newest Christian among us, or you are the oldest Christian among us, or you are any Christian in between. Let this either be first, wow, I didn't know that that's what I was supposed to do, or, man, I praise God for that continual reminder for us to be a church that would not be rebuked by the Lord. Paul says as was already read in 9a, the first exhortation, let your love be genuine. <clears throat> Cross fellowship, let among us, through us, with others, your love be genuine. Really. We do not have anything to hide. Everyone here comes into 
relationship with God exactly the same way. Entrance into the kingdom is a leveling field. There are people in life, some um, looks different than others, some are this, some are that. We can look to these and see that this is it, but just like death levels the playing field, it doesn't matter who you are, when a person is dead, that's just a corpse. Entrance into the kingdom levels the playing field. We've all come in the same way. There's no reason to be hypocritical with our love. The other translations translate it, let your love be without hypocrisy. We're going to be turning to some passages, different passages this morning. Uh, if you'll flip back with me to... Um, Matthew chapter 23. <clears throat> the Pharisees are an amazing group of people that God has given as wonderful examples of what not to follow. So Paul says, let your love be Genuine, or let your love be without hypocrisy. There are two ways that I see that, and this is not exhaustive, but these are two ways that I want to draw out to show hypocrisy in a person's love for God. One way that can be seen in Matthew 23, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, there's our word, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. One way the hypocrisy is seen is to show one thing on the outside in a way to try to cover up what's going on on the inside. Now when Paul makes this exhortation to the church, it is absolutely true to us. In order to let our love be genuine, there is no reason for us to try to cover anything up on the inside. What are we trying to hide from? We are not trying to hide from God. Hypocrisy will absolutely destroy a church. It ruins relationships. And it is absolutely, Paul exhorts the church here to not let that be among us. In other words, let your love be genuine. It's seen when a person wants to um, cover up what's really going on on the inside, not be honest with what's true in here, but let me show you what's out here. I mean, they will polish and clean that cup and wash that plate and do everything that they possibly can without showing what's really being revealed on the inside of the heart. Paul says, let your love be genuine. We, can, we do not have to hide what's on the inside. We all already know, as I mentioned, that we all come in on the same way. We all come in on the same playing field. We all know we're sinners. That is one way that hypocrisy 
is shown. The second way, you can see, turn back a little bit to Matthew chapter 7. The second way is that someone always wants to point out flaws in others to direct attention away from what's going on on the inside. Look at Jesus' words in chapter 7 of Matthew. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite. Pointing out flaws in others to direct attention away from what's going on is visible and seen by God's people. I love this. This is absolutely not a way to demonstrate your love. And let it be genuine. Listen, we all know that we're broken people. We all know that we all have a lot of issues that some run very deep. But what the exhortation is to the church is to let your love be genuine. Is this really true for you? If this is true for the church at Rome, then this is called to be true for us as well. Think about your relationships that you have. Think about Ways that you are really not being genuine and honest about what's going on inside your heart. Can I tell you, that, that is not genuine love. That will, that will in no way help Cross Fellowship be as a corporate body a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. The hopes is, is that everyone would be so genuine and real. And listen... I would encourage some, of, some here, do not be ashamed about a, the way that God has saved you. God has every single person in the kingdom brought in for a purpose. And even if a person has experienced a particular lifestyle before salvation than someone else, both should be confessing, I am a sinner, was a sinner, saved by God's grace. And every person in here should portray that type of heart. I love the fact that God teaches that we do not have to run to anywhere else for counsel for this. His prescribed words to us is church. Be genuine in your love. Do not be hypocritical. Be genuine.
The second exhortation that we see there, this is what begins to really separate churches, I believe. Paul says in the second part, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now this is very interesting to get a hold of and realize the fact that the church is to take a stand on evil and good. The church is not called to be complacent about evil and good. I really have a sense that in the church today, what we really want to do is try to be passive about evil. Oh, give me the good part, give me that, but Paul says he uses a descriptive word here for our relationship to good and evil. Listen, it is not, the, our relationship with good and evil will not be against God's. They will be one and the same because this is the position that God is. This is the position for us. We don't hate people. We don't get that opportunity to hate people. We hate evil. Paul says he uses a stronger word than hatred. Actually, the word is abhor. It is to abhor evil. Listen, this should be absolutely, the, this is what's wrong with a lot of churches today. When you come into churches, they just let sin and evil run rampant. That is not to be the church of today. Cross Fellowship, this is an exhortation to us, to every one of us. This is amazing. If a person from the outside was dropped into this church fellowship, what, what would be very difficult for them to stay is if they have a church that's absolutely being genuine in their love. Wow, that would be refreshing. And then... They have a church that is absolutely abhorring the things that God hates. A, a, a list, quickly, we can see. Turn to um, Proverbs, back to Proverbs 6.16. This is not exhaustive. This in no way completes the list of what God hates, but it is a a concise list that we can see that this is to be our stance against evil. Chapter 6, verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Church, get a hold of this. Haughty eyes. Incredible pride. A lying tongue. God hates lying. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one, he puts this in there, this is amazing, one who sows discord among Brothers, church, God absolutely hates abortion. Absolutely hates abortion with a passion. That needs to be the stance of the church. 
That needs to be the stance of God's people. It is absolutely wrong. It is an affront on God for people to dismiss and believe that they can begin to play God and do what they want with life when it is created by him. He abhors it. That's the stance of the church. God hates lying. Do not be a lying person among us. That is absolutely not being genuine. It's connected and directly connected right here in this passage. Let your love be genuine, and we do that by loving the things that God loves, and we hate the things that God hates. These are directly connected. One thing that God puts in there that he absolutely abhors is the sowing of discord among the brothers. God hates it when his people are tearing each other down and hurting each other. It is absolutely not right for the church to be viewed that our God has no power. The relationship with God is the same when it comes to good and evil. Let me share this with you. It is absolutely not right for the world to define for us what is good and evil. The world does not tell the church what is good and evil when it has no relationship with God. The church doesn't come and tell us, you need to not be against this or against that. You need to not love when a person uh, comes to saving faith in Christ. When a person repentant, repents, the Bible teaches us that heaven rejoices when a sinner comes to repent. The church rejoices when a person comes to repent. We are not defined by psychology. We are not defined by any definition outside this world. We are defined by the truth in God's word. The church does not, the, anyone else does not tell the church how we are, what we are to abhor and what we are to cling to. The word cling to. It means literally it's a seamless weld. It's glued as tight. It keeps on keeping company with good. The church does that. Let me turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. We see a picture of this. <clears throat> starting in verse 16. <clears throat> and behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? You know, I love this. Jesus first corrected this man's understanding of what is good. Look what he says. And he, that is Jesus, said to him, the man, why do you ask me about what is good? In other words, where's your goodness going to come from? There is only one who is good. That's God. 
The world does not define for us what is good. God defines for us what is good. What is good for Cross Fellowship is that we offer Christ and Him alone. What is good for Cross Fellowship is that we continue to sing and worship and praise Him. Some of you may come and you say, I'm looking for a church. I don't know what I'm looking for. Um, I need entertained. Well, you get enough of that with the world. I need this or I need that. God defines for us what is good. God defines for us and tells us what is good. Loving one another is absolutely good. Caring for one another, exhorting one another, rebuking where need be is good. God says for the church to carry out church discipline is good. I know that I have heard some might say, well, you'll get sued. God says it's good. Again, we follow the Lord. God defines for us what is good. Our position, the church's position, and we are to ex be exhorted in this way, we are to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, personal application for you. Really. Is there evil that you are not absolutely abhorring? Is there good that you've kind of, yeah, kind of let go? Cling to what is good, abhor to what is evil. Our next exhortation, <clears throat> you can see it on your handout, is three, that we are to love one another with brotherly affection. The emphasis there not necessarily on the love, but it's the type of love, the way that we love. You can see that out of, the out of the passage that Paul explains it. Look at verse 10a. Love one another with brotherly affection. <clears throat> God's plan of salvation is to save a people of all kinds and all types. God's plan of salvation is to bring into his kingdom all types of people. While we are waiting for him, we have the opportunity as Cross Fellowship, Little C Church, to have a small portion of investing in each other's lives. It is very important that we hold fast to what is good and God says that we are to love one another with brotherly affection. This means that it's a devotion. It's a deeply committed, kind love and devotion as we are family. There is only one family that will remain when Jesus returns, and that's it. 
I know that this might feel like it's stepping on a few toes, but church, if you elevate physical family, and please don't hear this wrong, I love my brothers and sisters physically. I love them. But there is a capacity and an understanding that God's people, all of God's people, and only God's people will be the ones remaining. When God has brought this family here together, the question would be, is there someone here that really is feeling rejected? Is there someone here that is feeling left out? Is there someone here that is feeling excluded? Is that really what God's picture would be in mind for loving brotherly with brotherly affection? God did not ask us. He did not consult us about who he will bring in and what the past of people might be. He didn't ask us that. He didn't consult us that. He brings in who he chooses. We are to love one another with brotherly affection. And it does not mean that as we work our way through this life, there will be hardships when that happens. We'll get to that. That's coming in another exhortation here. But God teaches us through his word that we are to be loving. This relationship that we have with one another is exactly the way that we see that God treats us. In fact, if you treat your brothers and sisters in a mean way, then you need to understand there's definitely a problem with the way that you see how God loves you. These two are one in the same. There is no condition placed on this love. Look at the passage. Love one another with brotherly affection if they do this or that. No, it doesn't say that. The emphasis is on the person to love regardless if the person makes themselves lovely. Love one another with brotherly affection. And the one another is all-encompassing here in, in this church at Rome. I do hope that uh, churches tend and have a, have a hard time staying out of cliques. Church, please, um, make sure that that would not be uh, among us, I would encourage to please begin to love and get to know one another uh, that goes beyond um, your time here, that goes um, beyond our cliques. I hope that those, those aren't the case. This is a devotion to one another because these are our eternal brothers and sisters. They belong to us forever. Paul's encouraging and exhorting the Romans who, who are comprised of a church of Jews and Gentiles. They don't care for one another. They're looking down upon each other. The Gentiles are thinking that the Jews are just following ridiculous traditions that have no meaning. The Jews are looking at the Gentiles and some of the things that they're doing and think, man, I, I don't think you understand how holy God is. You've got a church that are not getting along, and yet Paul says to love them as brotherly love. When, you, when a sister or 
a brother comes in and uh, begins to join our fellowship and, and they're in Christ, they are your brother and sister for eternity. The hopes would be is that we would absolutely love one another with a brotherly affection. Okay, so now we understand that we are to love God without hypocrisy. We are a church that's functioning now as abhorring evil, hating that which is good. I'm demonstrating love towards my brother. Paul says in next 10b, uh, outdo one another in showing honor. We are to love and honor each other over ourselves. <clears throat> it is important to understand that honor means to esteem someone else higher than yourself. It means to hold up someone else of incredible value and importance. I think this is so important when we address one another to recognize exactly who it is that we're talking to. We are not simply just talking to a person. Every born-again Christian has Jesus living on the inside. When we address and talk to one another, there should be of important and utmost honoring and reverence that helps us to understand that we are communicating with a person that has Christ living on the inside. This passage does not say this. It's not saying this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Mean, I'll show you. I'm going to put you down and by way of showing you this honor. That is not what this passage is saying. It means that we are to live our lives in such a humble way of coming literally up underneath our brothers and sisters and loving them in a way that we demonstrate how valuable and incredible, important they are among us and that we esteem them higher than ourselves. We love them. We honor them. There is no um, way that we should be treating other people in a bad way. We don't... Um, put them down, we don't talk poorly about them, we don't speak ill of each other, we respect and honor each other over ourselves. Turn back with me to Matthew 23. Again, the Pharisees play a great help here. Matthew 23, verses 6 through 12. Jesus said, speaking of the Pharisees, and they love the place of honor at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces, being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. 
and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You know, the best way to think about this, church, when it comes to being among and around each other and thinking through how do I, how do I honor this person and what, what about me? Honoring someone else removes and takes the eyes off of, of us and puts them on Jesus ultimately. And we need to understand that when we um, honor ourselves and try to promote ourselves and push ourselves ahead of others, that God is teaching that this is not to be in his church. Honor those among you. Jesus didn't even do this himself. He let the Father honor him. Here's the reason. Church, it's really good to get a hold of the fact that Jesus is all the honor that you need. This is so opposite of the world, a world that's trying to claw and dig and scratch its way, put other people down and promote itself. This is not the way. It's so refreshing to be able to come into a church. And I think Cross Fellowship does a great job. But it's just a wonderful exhortation to be reminded that we are to not honor and push ourselves up over people. We let others do that for us. We are to honor each other over ourselves. Your fifth point is we are not to be lazy, but to serve the Lord with passion. Okay, so here we're trucking through church life. Cross Fellowship's been going now, what, nine years, John? Is that right? And we're trucking through, getting gel- we're gelling with each other, we're getting to know each other, it's getting comfortable, feeling good, I know these people, I know who does what, I know kind of who likes to sit where, I know where people kind of are at, and pretty comfortable, pretty easy. Paul exhorts the church at Rome that we are not to be lazy but serve the Lord with fervent affection or fervent in spirit. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Let's take the first one. Do not be slothful in zeal. This is a laziness. This is a laziness that can, an apathy that can grow in the church, and we are exhorted to not let that be the case among us. We are to not be lazy and lose zeal. I, I can remember um, older Christians, this, this might apply that you might kind of pass this off as well. Nah, they'll get over that. They're young. They'll get over that. They're kind of a younger Christian. They've got a lot of zeal. 
you know what? That's not to be the, the um, action that is seen about us. We are to be, um, not be lazy, but to be fervent in spirit. My wife, I can remember an example that my wife, an uh, older professed Christian, told her one time, oh, don't worry, honey, you'll get over that. Listen, it is not wrong for a Christian it's actually good. It's a good thing. We cling to what is good for a Christian to be stirred in their spirit and be um, passionate and fervent in spirit. Fervent means burning with heat, burning hot. Now I ask you, where are you at? Are there things that you've come lazy, become lazy in? Are there things about the Lord that you've yeah, I'll get to it one of these days. Really. Paul says, do not be slothful in our zeal and zealous towards God and towards his people. We are to passionately care. We are to be burning in fervent spirit. Why? Well, Paul answers this in this exhortation is because ultimately we are serving the Lord. We do not continue um, haphardedly um, as if Christ were in the room and this is, eh, I'll get to it. I'll talk to these people one of those days. We are to burn with fervent in our spirit, inside of us. There is to be a passion. If, you, if you're here and you say, I don't have that passion, then I would encourage you that perhaps you have lost an understanding that you're not just a Christian to just continue on in the path, but you're actually a Christian to serve the Lord. We serve the Lord and we don't do this to our God. We serve the Lord with passion. We are not to be lazy. This is not to slip into this comfortable Christianity. This is not to say I'm a Christian and let me just, let me just uh, not serve this person when they have a need. Or apathy is a church killer. Listen, again, another way, a way that I have seen um, God's people kind of die off. They just lose zealousness and, and apathy. It really should be that if someone is dropped into the middle of this church, that everybody would, anybody that would be apathetic would really kind of feel uncomfortable. Wow, there's, I don't, I don't get this. There's so much passion in the church, in this church. They're so zealous for the Lord. They keep bringing up the Lord. Wow, well, what do you know? It's because they're serving the Lord. We are... Not to be lazy, but to serve the Lord with passion. Boil hot for him. Christian, <clears throat> what's keeping you from boiling hot? Really? What's keeping you from boiling hot? Mike, you don't understand my schedule. You don't understand this. You don't understand that. Look, I'm just... Teach an exhortation. We are to boil hot. If there is something here that is holding you or something that you maybe 
need to engage with, with God's people more that would stir your affections and the passage says that we are to be hot in our spirit for the things of the Lord because of who we serve. We'll continue on in verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I, I see a, a thread that is woven through those. And that's why put it on your sheet there that these are temporary. These things that we will continue to draw from are temporary. If you notice that um, your affliction is sandwiched, be patient in tribulation or affliction, it's sandwiched right between rejoice in hope and be constant in prayer. <clears throat> if you are here and you are thinking, I, I really don't know where you Christians get your passion from. I don't know what wellspring you're drawing from. I don't know what it is that continues to be the fuel for your passion and zealous and your continued pursuit and your, your relentless uh, way that you chase after the Lord. What do you draw from? I find myself depressed. I find myself hurting. I find myself wanting to shy away from people. I find myself not wanting to engage. I already tried to love this brother, and they're, they're just spurning me. They're just uh, kicking me. I, I got caught in a DC in a conversation, and somebody really said something hurtful to me. I was in the nursery, and somebody said something about my child that I didn't like. So I am finding myself in uh, my, my looking to myself and, and I'm going inward and I'm finding myself in this affliction that I'm not in, wanting to be patient. And I need to know, what is it that you Christians draw from? The first thing that Paul exhorts the believer to is to rejoice in their hope. The way that we continue on as a church, and I have no idea what God's plan are for Cross Fellowship as we continue to grow uh, and more people perhaps are added. I don't know. This is fine too. I love this. But let me ask you this. What is it that provides the fuel for where, these, where a Christian gets their power? Listen, this is solid bedrock foundation that they are landed on their hope that is found in Jesus. A Christian rejoices if all the world comes crashing down on me. I'm at my workplace and it's just going terrible. And then I was at church and somebody said something to me and now my kids are acting up and the whole world, my husband, I'm having trouble with him and my best friend said something or somebody at, uh, at wherever, the grocery store, uh, cut, and a car cut me off, whatever. You could have the worst day possible and, and, and experience incredible affliction. And it's very possible that in the days that are coming, church, we might, we might go through some horrible affliction. Now listen, God says that we are to be patient. Listen, please, because some, some, I don't think this is true. No, I want out of this affliction. God says, I want my children to be patient in it. And what are they going to pull from? They're going to pull and extract from this hope 
that is within this bedrock hope that I, this won't last forever. I am going to be one day out of here. I will be patient until the Lord returns. I will be patient in my affliction. I will be patient in my hardship. When I hear depressed, I'm asking, where's your hope? It is a trust in the Lord that we continue all the time to be patient in the affliction. Listen, once a person is converted, patience is not normally one of the first things that God gives and gives an abundance of. For his children, he uses affliction to bring about patience. Getting out of the affliction, out of the hardship, is not necessarily God's first priority for you. It is absolutely to be patient in affliction. Well, what do we draw from? We draw from hope. We draw from, we rejoice back in this hope because the Christian can come back to this hope. God, thank you for my salvation. Thank you for what you're doing in me right now. And thank you that you will not leave me and you will return for me. I can be patient. I'm rejoicing back in my hope and I can find comfort in God while I'm patient. One of the most other things, if you could picture, if you could picture this sandwich and you've got affliction right in the middle. So I'm going to use myself as an example here in both arms, okay? It's just a poor example, but go with me. So you've got, you've got the affliction. I'm being persecuted. I'm, 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 God, I'm trying to be patient. What am, I, what am I clinging to? What am I going to hold on to? The Christian holds on back to rejoicing in the amazing hope that we have in our God. And on the other hand, he fills that up with incredible prayer. Constant in prayer. I can't take this. Are you praying? You don't understand what has happened to me today. Have you prayed about it? I will not stand this any longer. I want out of my situation before you make a move. What does the Lord say? Have you prayed about it? A Christian clings. This is the fuel of where a Christian goes to. So when we find ourselves in affliction, when we find ourselves struggling, I'm, I'm in um, uh, uh, with this relationship with these people, this group of people, and man, it's just conflict and conflict and war going on. We rejoice in our hope and we pray constantly, seeking the Lord's face. All of this has an understanding. This life is temporal. Paul, Paul calls it um, a temporal life, a temporal affliction, light, momentary affliction, he calls it. This will not last. <clears throat> Listen. What this gets compared to is eternity. Really. When you think about what you are going through, Christian, and you place hope there, if it was on a scale of the hope of God that he has implanted in you and the affliction, there would be no comparison as to how that will be. Please get this. Those without hope will spend an eternity in affliction that they have never experienced or seen before. What is this, Lord, you're asking me to walk through with my hope rooted in you? I will rejoice and I will constantly seek your face 
in prayer. Look at verse 36 real quick back at Romans 11. Right there where you're at. Why do we use these, this type of fuel that the Lord has given? Rejoice in hope and be constant in prayer when we're in tribulation. It's because of this, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen, this tears at the heart of the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel teaches and preaches that everything is about you. All that we can do to lift you up, all we can do to exalt you, all we can do to get you comfortable. God says, not my children. Cross Fellowship, let this be a wonderful exhortation to you that when we get afflicted, when we get oppressed, when we get deeply squeezed, if God squeezes, what comes out is God. When we get squeezed, what comes out is God. We should be so overflowing with the Lord that I'll rejoice in my hope that I have in Him and I will constantly commit things over to Him in my prayers that He will sustain me. <clears throat> the last one, we are to share in the needs of our brothers and sisters. The emphasis here, real quick, is not on defining the needs. We are to contribute to the needs of the saints. God calls us, church, to be like Jesus. There was a time that every person in here had a need, a great need. And the ultimate need was to have their sins forgiven. And Jesus met that need. Paul is exhorting the church to contribute to that cause. To come to a church and not recognize that there is something far greater going on than your involvement here. There's something far greater going on than a person coming and saying, I, I got to go to church and I got to give my money. I got to go to church and I got to give this or give that. It does, Paul doesn't even necessarily specify here that a way to contribute to the needs is not necessarily always financial. But what he is exhorting and encouraging the church to do is you are to contribute. Question for you. Are you contributing to the needs of the saints or are you living selfishly for your own life? That's the thrust of the, of the exhortation. Jesus did not withhold himself, he gave himself, and there is a way that when we contribute and meet the needs of the saints among us and around us, we are being like Jesus in that. We are displaying and demonstrating the gospel among us. Every Christian is to be engaged and involved in demonstrating giving to those who have needs. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel. <clears throat> Seek to show hospitality is our last 
exhortation there. Seek to show hospitality. Emphasis on the seek. Wow. Now listen, folks. It'd be easy for us to live in isolation, live a mentality that says, I'm not sure I really want people in my home. I don't really know if I want people in my stuff. The first thing to recognize is it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. Everything that you own belongs to the Lord. It will not go with you into the eternal kingdom. The way to demonstrate hospitality is a beautiful reflection also of the gospel. And in this, we, we see that God was so gracious and generous in the giving of his only son. There is a reflection here of the gospel being portrayed that we are to demonstrate hospitable, we are to be hospitable people because we understand what we own is temporal. We are to open our home. Paul says, seek it. I want to ask you, are you really seeking to be hospitable towards people? The exhortation is to seek to be hospitable towards people. If you are not seeking it, then there is a portion of our offering as a corporate body that is not smelling sweet to the Lord. That's all there is to it. Paul, you want to know what does God have for the church here at Rome to not die, to be sweet-smelling, to thrive? We want to be a church. These are the things that we set our hearts to as we live among each other. The hopes would be is that if an unbeliever came into this room and decided, man, I want to... I like this church. They're real friendly and warm. They get in here. Picture an egg on a boiling pot of water. And you've got a, you put a bunch of eggs in the middle of this pot. These are Christians in there. They are boiling. They begin to boil. They begin to boil hot. They begin to get done. So God, through the pressures of life, they continue to constantly rejoice in the hope that they have. They continually Pray to God. They don't stop. You will not take prayer from a Christian. They continue to seek the Lord's face. And an unbeliever comes in and tries to get into the pot with us that it would be living such a way that the unbeliever would absolutely hate to be in that water with us. What a beautiful thing when you have a church family that is absolutely going against everything that is in our hearts by living in community with each other, that it makes it almost impossible for an unbeliever to stay in among us. While we have the heat and the pressures of a life, we have an amazing salvation that is found in Jesus. Listen, church, the reason that this is possible is because Jesus Christ hung on the cross and he paid the penalty for sins Sins of first not loving him supremely. Not loving him with your whole heart. Not loving him with all of your being, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength, all of who you are. Jesus accomplished that for us.
Jesus did that exactly for us, and there is a way, church, that we do not love people like this or would not without Christ's intervention in our life. We draw from the wellspring of Jesus. If you're here and you say, there is no way that neither I live this way nor do I want to live this way, really. God hates people that worship themselves. God hates people who worship themselves. He has that prerogative. We are called to worship God and by way of that be radically transformed in how we live. Jesus hung on the cross. He paid and drank down every drop of God's wrath, completely satisfying his justice that would never get satisfied any way else for you and I to say, church, this is our reasonable worship to him. This is reasonable. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for <clears throat> the exhortations. God, may we meditate on these this week. May we come to these, Lord, and recognize if there needs to be change. Lord, then we'll make them. May we not hold on to our idolization of ourselves, or worship of ourselves, but God, love you supremely and desire to come alongside our brothers and sisters in love, demonstrating hospitality, sharing and contributing in needs. God, may we be a people that persecute uh, persevere in our afflictions. May we walk with patience in what we're going through, God, drawing upon the strength of you. We thank you for the opportunity to hate evil and love what is good. God, most of all, would you help our love to be genuine with one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.